Matthew chapter 3, uh, and we'll be reading from verses 1 to 12. So if you've got one of the church Bibles, that can be found on page 967 uh, of the church Bibles, reading Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. Good to be back with you all. After a week away, skiving off in Auckland, I was. I was celebrating some family celebrations, but I also... Uh, Mary and I attended one of our sister churches in the CCA diocese. We went to Mallon Sue's church, the Auckland Anglican Mission, and I bring their greetings back to Hope Church, and I'm pleased to report they're in good heart. Uh, it was an excellent service. Uh, the service was probably better than the banjo playing by the senior minister, uh, but they are in good heart, I'm pleased to report. Well, because this morning's sermon focuses on John the Baptist, I thought it'd be entirely appropriate to start with a Baptist joke. That's for all you Baptists out there, not looking at anybody in particular. So there was an Irishman called Paddy, and he walked into a bar and he ordered three pints of beer. And the barman put the three pints of beer on the bar, and Paddy took a sip out of the first, took a sip out of the second, took a sip out of the third, and then he repeated it until he finished the three pints. And then he ordered another three pints. Sip out of the first, sip out of the second, sip out of the third. And the bartender was a little bit concerned about this. And he said, Paddy, you know, uh, beer goes a wee bit flat if it sits for too long. I could just order you a pint. And when you finish that one, I could get you another one and another one. Paddy said, well, here's the story. I've got two brothers that have immigrated to America and Australia. And we used to drink a little bit together, but now I have to buy a pint in honour of them, and I, have, I share a drink with them. So this, in their absence, so this went on for a few months, and, uh, and then one, one day Paddy rocked in and he ordered two pints of beer, and the, crowd, and, the, and the 
I was going to say the church, but the pub went quiet. And uh, he took one sip out of the first, one sip out of the second, and then finished those off, had another, ordered another two. And the barman went up to him and said, Paddy, I don't want to intrude on your grief, but I just want to acknowledge your loss and express my condolences. And, and Paddy said, no, no, it's nothing to do with that. It's, uh, my brothers, they're fine. The trouble is my wife has joined a Baptist church and we're not allowed to drink anymore. But it's all right. My brothers are still Catholic, so all is well. God bless the Baptists, eh? And the Catholics. Well, last week, for those of you who weren't skiving off in Auckland, you heard from Sandy about the hope that we have in Christ. And that's a real theme that goes through the season of Advent that we're in. We're in the second Sunday of Advent this morning. And that's, that theme of hope runs through these four weeks that we're in right now. But if it's probably the one dominant theme of Advent is the theme of this morning's message. And I've entitled this message, Prepare the Way for the Lord. As we hear from Isaiah's prophecy, this was the ministry of John the Baptist. And this is the theme that is running all through the season of Advent, Prepare the the way for the Lord. So let's bow our heads and our hearts as we seek God's enabling to hear his word. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this season of preparation, this season of waiting, this season of Advent, and we thank you for the call to prepare our hearts. Lord, we would ask that of you this morning, that you would prepare our hearts to hear your word afresh to us, we ask, Lord, that you would humble our proud hearts. We ask, Lord, this morning that you would heal our broken hearts and that you might even strengthen our timid hearts, that we might know Jesus and in his name and for his glory we pray. Turn with me to Matthew 3. If you haven't already, I'm reading from verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. You know, there are many, many prophecies in the Old Testament that point to a future fulfillment. And for many, if not most of them, we have to discern in our own abilities prayerfully when those prophecies will get fulfilled in God's timing but this particular passage is one of those prophecies where the gospel writer Matthew in this case explicitly tells us he does the hard work for us he says this prophecy now is fulfilled in the ministry of John the Baptist Isaiah some 700 years earlier had spoken of a voice in the wilderness preparing the way for the Lord. And now Matthew describes that this prophecy is fulfilled in the ministry of John the Baptist out in the wilderness. So important, I believe, in my mind is this prophecy. I'm going to take you back to Isaiah 40 to hear the original prophecy. Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. 
that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our gods. And the prophecy goes on, every valley will be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the power of God's word, to bring to fruition what God's will is. And this creative power of God's word gets fulfilled a number of times, originally in Isaiah's time, but now it gets fulfilled in the ministry of John the Baptist. The original prophecy, the gospel according to Isaiah, where God announces to Israel their sins have been forgiven, their hard service, their time of hard service is over, and now God is saying, make a way for them to come back to Jerusalem. Notice the gentleness in Isaiah's prophecy. He begins by saying, comfort, comfort my people. The first fulfillment is Israel's returning from Babylon to Jerusalem after 70 years of exile. But as Matthew records for us, the second fulfillment, and dare I say the ultimate fulfillment, is in the ministry of John. And his ministry, interestingly, was not so gentle, as we're going to see in a moment. But what they both share is the declaration of a voice calling in the wilderness. Now, this theme of wilderness runs through the Scriptures. It runs through Exodus, through Isaiah, into the Gospels. And I wonder how many of you today could identify with the experience of a wilderness. Finding yourself in this place where the familiar has gone, it seems like something of a desert that you're in, that you're in this place of a wilderness. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I think this morning we might be shocked to know how many people right now, this morning, consider themselves to be in that place of wilderness, that place of unknowing, that place of a desert. Let me say to you this morning that you're in good company. Moses found himself in the desert. Israel found themselves in the desert. Isaiah and, of course, Jesus himself in the gospel is about to be led into the wilderness. The wilderness experience, let me say to you this morning, is not some form of failure. To find yourself in the place of wilderness is not some form of failure. Exile is different. Exile is the place of judgment. But the wilderness experience is often the leading of God's Holy Spirit. Well, what did the wilderness mean for John? According to Matthew, he had one message and he had one purpose. The message was repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near and the purpose was to prepare the way for the Lord. One message and one purpose. So this message John was preaching was that the kingdom of heaven has come near. The purpose of God is unfolding in front of the very people that he was speaking to. Just as surely as 700 years earlier in Israel's time, they were allowed home from Babylon and the yoke of tyranny that Babylon had oppressed them with was lifted. John is implying here that a tyranny can be lifted. 
A tyranny can be lifted off your shoulders as he speaks to the people of Israel in that first century. And his first hearers would have no doubt have been thinking about Rome. They would have been thinking about the oppression that they were experiencing under the Roman governors and the like. But it would appear from John's message from this text that the real tyrant that needs to be evicted from the power over these people is their own sin. Hence the call to repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This word repent means to think again, to change your mind, perhaps even to change your direction, the direction of your life. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. The reason you might choose this action, the purpose that John is declaring this message is to Prepare the way for the Lord's. Make space for the Lord who is drawing near. His rule, his power, his reign is drawing near to you. So repent and prepare the way for the Lord's. So that's the challenge for you and I. It was the challenge for John's hearers out there in the wilderness. And it's the challenge for us to make space for the kingdom of God's to be manifest in our lives. How do we do that? It's absolutely vital that we make space for the Lord in our lives. How do we do that? Well, we're going to consider that more deeply in a moment. But before we do, let's turn back to Matthew's gospel and hear something of the character of the man who's proclaiming this message to repent. Verse 4, John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, this John is a complicated rooster. I'm not sure that camel's hair are the most comfortable garments to be wearing. I'm certainly not sure that locusts are the tastiest delicacy. I'm reminded of our journey in Africa when there was a plague of locust-like insects came into our apartments. And the locals in our apartment said, these are beautiful to eat, Mr. Crossan. You must try one of these. And they were plaguing all over the, over the walls. And they picked one up and they swallowed it and smiled. And they said, you must, you must. And so I tried one of these locust-like insects. Do you know what they taste like? They taste like locusts. <laughs> revolting so John is clearly portrayed as someone who doesn't conform to the patterns of this world he's not bothered by fashion he's not bothered by comfort he's not bothered by fine dining he's not even bothered about making friends listen to verse 7 and 8 but when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing he said to them you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, I'm not suggesting this morning that John should be our model of ministry today. My model has always been, and I encourage you to be a person full of grace and truth. Allow Jesus to be your model. But I've been recently challenged by a Christian commentator in Australia over the Andrew Thorburn uh, saga. I mentioned it a few weeks ago. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, Thorburn was appointed as the CEO of a football club. 
He was sacked 24 hours later because of his association with an evangelical Anglican church in Melbourne. And such was the media storm over it because of a couple of sermons around homosexuality and around abortion. Andrew Thorburn was forced to stand down. Now, the pastor of his church went on to a a TV program and was defending the faith. And he was asked a couple of direct questions about their stance on homosexuality and on abortion. And he really fudged the answer, answer because he knew that it wasn't going to be a palatable answer. And this Christian commentator challenged him and it challenged me because I know that I've been in public debates before where you want to come across as being winsome, full of grace and full of truth. But as this commentator reflected, our culture has moved so far that if we're going to stand for the truth, it's going to be hard to win the debate by winning friends. We have to be clear in our convictions. We have to be clear in our stand for the truth, just as clear as John the Baptist was. Now, I'm not saying you have to call your opponents vipers. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying we have to be clear in our convictions. The people were flocking to the wilderness to be baptized by John. We also know from the Gospels that Jesus' disciples were baptizing at the same time. In fact, many, many more people were heading to Jesus' disciples to be baptized in the wilderness. But here the people are confessing their sins and are being baptized. And John warns the Pharisees and the Sadducees to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. What does that mean, to produce fruit in keeping with repentance? Well, in other words, he's saying an outward ritual is worthless. If it isn't accompanied with a change of heart, a change of mind, even a change of actions. As valuable as this baptism of repentance is, John is saying, that's not the goal. It was merely preparing the way for the ministry of the Messiah who would bring the ultimate transformation. To which we turn now, as John reflects on his ministry and he compares it with the ministry of the one who is to come. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The imagery of fire is deliberate. It takes the hearers back to Israel's journey, their own journey in the wilderness, where, remember, they were led by a cloud during the day and by a pillar of fire in the night. The one who John was pointing towards would baptize you with fire. Now, a baptism of fire can mean many different things. And in popular understanding, it's come to mean something a little bit different. We popularly understand if you say you've been through a baptism of fire, you might have started a new job or started a new ministry and the pressure has really come on you. A baptism of fire. That imagery is used elsewhere in the Bible, a refining you might say, but that's not what John is saying here. When he says Jesus comes to baptize you with fire, the imagery that John is using is the imagery of judgment. 
The baptism which Jesus will bring is a baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. And he makes it clear as he goes on by using the imagery of the separation that will take place in the fullness of time. He uses the imagery of a harvest. And he talks about the wheat being separated from the chaff. That which is valuable in the kingdom is the wheat. That which is worthless in the kingdom is the chaff. The winnowing fork is in Jesus' hands, John is saying, and he will burn up the chaff. His baptism is a baptism of Holy Spirit and the fire. The chaff will be burnt up, so what will be left? The life in Christ that is yours in the kingdom. So what are we to make of this passage on our second Sunday in Advent. Three things I want to acknowledge. Firstly, the wilderness. If you find yourself in a wilderness place, and I know many of you are in that wilderness because you've shared that with me. If you find yourself in a wilderness place, my encouragement to you this morning is don't waste the wilderness, but don't get stuck in the wilderness. Don't waste the wilderness, but don't get stuck in the wilderness. John was a voice calling in the wilderness. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness. Don't waste the wilderness, but don't get stuck in the wilderness. For Israel, the wilderness was the zone between slavery and the promised land. It was the zone where they had to trust God, to learn to trust God. And that first generation never quite got the lesson. And so they never made it into the promised land. By God's grace, they had been released from the tyranny of Egypt, but they were not ready for the promised land. Why? Because the idols were too strong in their hearts. They hadn't yet learned to trust God fully. Don't waste the wilderness, but don't get stuck in the wilderness. Just as a beaten mother was tempted to go back to her abusive partner, so Israel were tempted to go back to the tyranny of Egypt. Why? Because the familiar, even though it was a tyranny, seemed to them more desirable than the unknown of what was promised by God's. Don't waste the wilderness, but don't get stuck in the wilderness. You have a future that requires you to cross over into the promised land. You need to learn the lesson to trust God if you find yourself in that place of a desert. Your future is promised by God. Take the step of faith. Secondly, I believe the lesson we need to learn from this passage is to speak clearly about the truth of God's words. Are you clear on the biblical witness and the implications for a public faith? The world is all too happy for you to maintain a private faith, to stay private in your faith on a Sunday morning, for your faith to remain private in your home. But I want to encourage you this morning, be bold in your witness, just as bold as John the Baptist was. Our culture has shifted, and the believer in the gospel of God can no longer expect to make friends in the public sphere. We have to be willing to pay the price to stand for the truth of God's gospel. My urging to you this morning, church, is to realize the times have shifted. Even in the last four years since we planted Hope Church, our culture has shifted. And so don't expect to make friends with a world that is 
opposed to the gospel of Christ. Be clear in your convictions and speak the word of God clearly. Finally, and perhaps most importantly, I believe the lesson for us from this passage this morning is to make space for Jesus. John's word to Israel was repent for the kingdom of God has come near. Prepare the way for the Lord is our theme this morning. And in some sense, this is the theme for all of Advent. Another way of saying that is to make space in your life for Jesus. Make space in your life for the Lord Jesus. By that, I don't mean making sure that you're attending church on a Sunday morning as important and as good as that is. But I do mean in terms of all of your life, making space for the Lord Jesus in every aspect of your life. Repentance, fire, and Christ is your destiny. He is your hope. How do we prepare the way for the Lord? Well, I quoted to you from Isaiah 40 earlier, where Isaiah says, Make straight in the desert a highway, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Now, it was Irenaeus who said some 1900 years ago that the glory of God is a man or a woman fully alive. The glory of God is a man or a woman fully alive. Does that describe your life this morning? Is your life, could it be described as being fully alive? The beauty of this world, the thrill of God's love, the joy of his purposes. Are they found in you this morning? Can you describe yourself as fully alive so that the glory of God is revealed in your life? Or are there some things in your life that need to be disposed of? Some chaff in your life? Some patterns? Some habits that you have to let go of? That's the journey of repentance that John calls us to this morning. Repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Are there some golden calves that need to be destroyed? The self-indulgence, the unbelief, whatever it might be, are you making space for Jesus in your life this morning? Let me conclude this morning by reminding you of the prophecy, the original prophecy. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her, that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. Your sin has been paid for at the cross, as we've already reflected this morning. And that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. That's the voice of the Lord this morning, calling to you to prepare the way for the Lord's. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places are plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's bow our heads and our hearts in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we allow this word to settle afresh on our hearts. As we allow this word to settle afresh in our minds, we ask, we dare to ask that you would baptize us with your Holy Spirit and with fire, that you would burn up the chaff, 
that which is not of the kingdom, that we might know the life of Christ more fully in our lives. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning, especially for those who find themselves in a wilderness. Lord, your word reminds us that more often than not, that wilderness is the place of your leading, the leading of your spirit. Lord, teach each and every one of us as individuals, but also significantly teach us as a church what it means to rely on you and to trust in you more deeply when we find ourselves in that wilderness place. Lord, we want your glory to be revealed in our witness. We want to be a people who are fully alive with the life of Christ. And so again, I pray, baptize us, God. Pour out your spirit, pour out your fire, that we might be a, a church that is truly alive, bringing all the glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Stuart.